This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. I wonder if you know that Australia has the highest reported rates of childhood food allergy in the world, with about 1 in 10 infants and 1 in 20 children up to the age of 5 being allergic. Finally, some good news. A new study has found that changes to the food guidelines has led to a 16% decrease in peanut allergy amongst infants. New guidelines are asking parents to start introducing the common allergy foods earlier, even if you do have a family history of allergies. The researchers are hoping that this change may have already led to a decrease in peanut allergy amongst babies and infants. Now, if you're like me and allergies haven't played much of a role in your life, you might be thinking that, oh, this is just another allergy interview and a bit boring. But you just don't know when life's going to turn up with a big surprise. And for me, literally days after recording this interview, I was in an ambulance getting a shot of adrenaline for an anaphylactic reaction to what might have been a bee sting. Well, it's bad enough going through something like this yourself. I cannot imagine having to do it with a child or a baby. It completely blows my mind. And my heart goes out to families who find themselves having to be so incredibly vigilant to guard against an anaphylactic shock for their child. It's a really difficult thing for families to live with because of the fear around reactions, because of having to be really vigilant about everything that the child eats, about what happens when they're outside of the home, about things like reading food labels all the time. So it does have a really significant impact on quality of life for families in a lot of cases. Dr Jennifer Copland works as a researcher at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute and her area of speciality, food allergies. Jennifer, it's great to talk to you. Tell us about what you have most recently uncovered about peanut allergies. So I've spent the last 12 years looking at food allergies in kids and my particular interest is really looking at identifying factors that might predispose somebody to developing a food allergy and then to work out how we might be able to intervene to prevent children from developing a food allergy in the first place. And when we talk about food allergies, we're not talking about something that you don't like to eat or or something that maybe might upset you a little bit. Some of these allergies that you're researching are hugely serious. That's right. And the type of allergies that we look at are something called IgE-mediated food allergies. And they're the most serious types of food allergies. So they're the sorts of things where if you eat something that you're allergic to and you have an IgE-mediated food allergy, you develop symptoms sometimes within minutes of eating the food, but almost always within an hour or two. So they're reactions that happen quite quickly. And the sorts of symptoms that children can get are things like hives, so little raised lumps that look a little bit like a mosquito bite, vomiting, other rashes, uh, angioedema, so swelling really of the eyes, lips or face. And then, as you say, they can be quite serious. So in, in rare occasions, luckily this is not very common, but very rarely children can also develop breathing difficulties, which is at, called anaphylaxis. So that's the severe thing that we're really trying to prevent. These are the sort of serious illnesses that can hugely disrupt a family's life, can't they? Absolutely. This is something that's a really difficult thing for families to live with because of the fear around reactions, because of having to be really vigilant about everything that the child eats, about what happens when they're outside of the home, about things like reading food labels all the time. So it does have a really significant impact on quality of life for families in a lot of cases.
Have you been working on what actually causes these allergies? They're not the sort of thing that used to exist years and years and years ago. Yeah, that's right. So they've probably always been around at a low level, but there certainly seems to have been a really large rise in food allergies. Unfortunately, no one was really measuring it 20 or 30 years ago, so we don't know exactly when this rise happened or how large it's been, but we're certainly fairly sure that there's more of them around now than there used to be. And that seems to be a true increase in food allergies. So one thing is that, you know, people are more aware of them these days. But above and beyond that, we think there has actually been a true increase in food allergies. And we don't know exactly why that's the case, but there's a couple of things that we've been working on that we think might be important. And the research that has recently had a little bit of media interest from our group has been around the timing that children start eating foods that can cause reactions, so in our case, particularly peanut. And we've seen that children who start eating peanut earlier, so in the first year of life, seem to be less likely to go on and to develop a food allergy or a peanut allergy compared to children who start eating peanut later. Now, that's one of the characteristics of the research that's being done at Murdoch Children's Research Institute is because I think that initially that research started with egg allergies and families who had a child that was already allergic to egg in that first 12 months of life. Yeah, that's right. So it's really based on some evidence that came out from a randomised control trial in the UK that showed that children who already had a high risk of developing a peanut allergy, so as you say, these are children who have an egg allergy or who have severe eczema, they randomise these kids, so basically randomly assign them to either start eating peanut in the first year or to avoid peanut completely until age five. And what they found was a really huge decrease in peanut allergy among that group that started eating peanut in the first year of life. And based on that, we changed the infant feeding guidelines in Australia and they also changed around the world to really recommend quite strongly that parents do get that peanut in before the child's 12 months old, if at all possible. And our research now has shown for the first time how that's working at a population level. So what we've seen is that fantastically parents are really good at getting peanut in. So more than 80% of parents had managed to give their child peanut before they were 12 months old. And also that we're starting to see a bit of a drop in peanut allergy, which is fantastic. So what we found was about a 16% decrease in peanut allergy compared to 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, the advice was really not specifically to introduce early. And in fact, it was sort of just changing at that stage from advice that was previously in place to avoid in the first year. Is that looking like a trend with all those allergenic foods? If a child or a baby, because I suppose they're still a baby until they're 12 months old, if a baby is exposed to those allergens that their body might be able to learn to tolerate? Certainly the recommendations are to introduce the whole range of foods in the first year, so things like cow's milk and egg and other foods that might also cause an allergy. The evidence is the best for peanut at the moment. There's also some evidence that's that's fairly good that earlier introduction of egg is also effective in preventing egg allergy. We haven't looked at it in our study yet, although we have collected the data, so hopefully in the next few months we'll be able to have a bit more of an answer about the egg allergy. And for other foods, we just don't know enough yet, but there's no reason to believe it won't be the same sort of mechanism where introducing earlier is protective. So the recommendations are really introduce a whole range of foods. How does that recommendation fit with a lot of parents who want to keep breastfeeding their babies for at least the first 12 months of life. Yeah, so that's the really great thing. Um, There's no need to stop breastfeeding and in fact the recommendations really are to continue breastfeeding as long as you'd like to and to introduce the allergenic foods while you're breastfeeding. And there's no need to introduce them before six months. So if you want to exclusively breastfeed until six months, that's completely fine. It's just really introducing before the child's 12 months old and really in that second six months of life is
is when people tend to start introducing foods anyway. It's really just making sure that you're getting that range of foods into the diet. Are you actually starting to think that that initial dietary advice of not introducing allergy type foods before a child is 12 months old might be the thing that's responsible for this huge spike in allergic children? We think it probably played a role. It's probably not the only answer. So we certainly started to see this rise in food allergies before the guidelines changed. And in fact, that original advice to delay was really based on the fact that people started getting quite worried about peanut allergy because they seem to be seeing more of it. So it's probably not the only answer, but it may certainly have contributed to the rise in allergic disease or in peanut allergy specifically. And now we are starting to see that potentially reversing to see a little bit of a drop. Just to put this into perspective, Australia is a very allergic country. Can you explain how many children are living with an allergy in Australia? Absolutely. And it varies a bit by the type of allergy and by the age group and those sorts of things. But we certainly see Australia, for some reason, has very high rates of infant allergies. So things like eczema, we see quite a lot of, and food allergies. So food allergies, one in 10 kids at 12 months in Melbourne at least, seems to have a food allergy and that might be different in different parts of Australia where it hasn't been measured in the same way. And then in, in actually we have recently looked in Geelong as well as a, a bit of a contrast, there seems to be slightly lower rates of food allergy in Geelong, but it's still relatively common compared to international rates of food allergy. And then it drops a little bit as children get older. So we know most kids will grow out of things like milk and egg allergy, which are really common in infancy, whereas things like peanut and tree nut, they seem to be more likely to persist so children are less likely to outgrow those so it's really more than one in ten it's probably more like one in 20 when the children are a bit older how does that compare to say the united kingdom or the united states for example or you know even a it's like a close country like malaysia yeah, it's a very good question. So the problem is not all countries are measuring food allergy the same way that we are, and there's a lot of variation in how well it's measured. There's some fairly good data around in Europe that, so we, we found a very, very high rate of egg allergy in our study 10 years ago, um, and we found about 10% of infants had an egg allergy in the first year of life. As I said, most of those kids did grow out of it eventually, but it was very high at 12 months of age. Compared to places like the UK, where they were seeing more of the 1% to 2% level, so they were seeing quite a lot less egg allergy. In terms of peanut, probably about the same, but again, it's not necessarily measured terribly well everywhere in the world. But we have done some work with a group in Singapore where we've tried to compare our rates of food allergy to the rates that they're seeing over there, and they are definitely seeing a lot less allergy to all sorts of foods, which is really quite interesting, and we're still trying to work out why that's the case. Is anybody working on a cellular level as to what's causing the allergies? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really active area of research as well, and there's a group also at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute who are looking at that and trying to understand what it is about the immune response that means that some children will develop an allergy to a food that somebody else can tolerate perfectly well. So it's still a really active area and we don't we know a lot about the sorts of things within the food that children are reacting to, but we don't really know why. So why why are they reacting to these things and not others and why are some children reacting whereas others are completely fine to tolerate absolutely everything no matter when they're exposed. So certainly there are some kids who no matter what you do, they'll never develop a food allergy. And there's this other group that you might be able to prevent from developing a food allergy if you do certain things like introducing peanut early. And then there's another group that may always develop a peanut allergy. So they might 
not benefit from this early introduction. So as we've sort of talked about, there was a 16% decrease in peanut allergy, but that still means that there's still quite a lot around. So there's still some children who, despite parents doing you know, all the right things, have still developed a peanut allergy, unfortunately. This peanut allergy is the thing that has changed all our lives. You know, Anybody who's prepared a kinder lunch or snacks to take to school knows that you just cannot have anything that contains peanuts. That's right. It's really challenging, I think, for parents of children with food allergies, but as you say, also for all parents. So uh, trying to be sure that what they're doing doesn't put another child at risk. And certainly in, in terms of kinder, that's, that's an issue because you can't always explain to children that they shouldn't share food. As they get older, we really recommend that children with food allergies are very careful about sharing foods. And that's something that we can do as they get a little bit older and, and in schools. But it's really about yeah trying to keep keep children safe which is not always an easy thing to do. So if the recommendation is now to try and find ways to introduce peanuts to babies under the age of 12 months so preferably older than six months is that actually something that you would recommend parents try because as she said some children are always going to have one of those really spectacular allergic responses and yeah how can parents know if that's going to happen or how to do it safely? Yeah that's right so it is really something that's quite worrying for a lot of parents and I have a 14-month-old, so I went through the whole peanut introduction when my child was about seven months, and it was a, it was a little bit worrying at the time. And it's really, I think, really reassuring to know that reactions that happen in that first year tend to be really quite mild. So although we do see severe reactions, they, they do tend to be in older children. We also say that there's there's certain things you can do to reduce the chances of your child reacting and the reduce the chances of a severe reaction happening. So if you're giving peanut for the first time, really just start with a tiny amount, especially if you're worried at all. So the smaller the dose of peanut, the less likely they are to have sort of that, that really severe reaction if they do react. You can just start with a really tiny smear that's just mixed in with some food that they're already eating and tolerating. And you can watch them for a couple of hours if you're at all worried, just to make sure they're not developing any reactions. But the reactions that did we did see in our study, for example, if they did happen, they were generally things like hives. So they were generally those milder types of reactions. There used to be a bit of a joke about parents pulling into the closest children's hospital car park and, and feeding their toddler a peanut butter sandwich. We certainly heard that quite a lot anecdotally. And I think that's what's really great about this research. And what we were really excited by was that so many parents had overcome that potential concern to be able to get the peanut into their child's diet early on. So I think we were a bit worried because of those sorts of stories that certainly we'd heard quite a lot that maybe parents would be too scared to do it. But it seems like, no, that's actually not the case. So parents are doing it and they're doing it safely and they are getting that peanut in. Mm. And it does seem to be having the effect we were hoping for. Is there any benefit to mum eating peanuts or any of these allergenic foods whilst pregnant or breastfeeding? Do, do you find that the allergenic compounds actually cross the placenta or the breast milk barrier? It's a very good question. We're actually uh, part of a big nationwide study at the moment called the Pregnut Study, which is looking at exactly that question. So it's looking at randomly assigning mums to eat either low amounts of peanut or high amounts of peanut during pregnancy and breastfeeding and see whether that does have any impact on allergies in the child, because at the moment we really just don't know. So that is something if anybody is interested in signing up for food allergy research that might be 
pregnant at this time. You can find information on the Murdoch Children's Research Institute website about studies that are happening at the moment, so things like this pregnant study, and also there's a study called Vitality, which is looking at whether or not vitamin D in the first year of life has any role to play in preventing food allergies in children. So we're looking at a whole range of things, not just the age that the child starts eating the allergenic foods. That is a fantastic name for a study, the Pregnut Study. It is a very good name, and I think uh, people who come up with these are very creative and much more so than I am. <laughs> so it's the Pregnut Study and the Vitality Study, which I think is also also quite a good name. One of the other theories that's being examined for allergies is the hygiene hypothesis. And, well, of course, with COVID, our hygiene is ramped up and we're throwing antibacterial stuff around left, right and centre to not get COVID. Do you see that there's any potential effect on children as a result of what we're doing right to prevent infection? Yeah, it's really interesting that you raise that because I think that is something that this... uh, COVID pandemic and our response to it really does give us the opportunity to start to look at whether or not we've had any impact on allergic disease. And this is sort of this almost trial where we're trying something completely different in terms of what people are being exposed to and what babies are being exposed to. And it gives us this real opportunity, perhaps in a year's time, to measure allergic disease in children and see whether that's changed at all. So I think at this stage, we just don't know, but it's it's certainly something that I want to look into and that I think a number of people are interested in. And there is this great kind of natural experiment, I suppose, if you like, that will allow us to do that. It's a very uh, extreme intervention in a lot of ways. And yeah, certainly, I mean, with my daughter, I noticed uh, there was just this period of time where she didn't see anybody. And that was just a funny way to raise a baby, isn't it? It, It's really unusual and not something I would have predicted beforehand. A friend said that she'd actually been hearing of many, many more babies with an allergic reaction lately. Is there something going on at the moment? Are more babies being diagnosed with an allergic reaction? Mm. So I guess what we looked at is the overall prevalence of food allergy and found that it decreased. But certainly because we're getting these foods into the diet earlier, if children are going to react, their reaction might be earlier than it would have otherwise been. So it might be that somebody was always going to develop a peanut allergy, but rather than reacting at one and a half, they might react at six months. So sort of shifting that reaction timing. And we certainly wouldn't recommend that, except that we know that the reactions that are happening, as I've said before, are mild in almost all cases, and that overall, it still has a benefit in terms of preventing some children from developing a peanut allergy. But it's It is certainly the case um, that we're seeing the reactions that are happening seem to be a little bit earlier in life rather than a little bit later in life. One of the things about allergies is that, you know, your first reaction can be a mild one, but I know that people that do have those really serious allergies, you know, they might have had one or two or three exposures to the allergen and it's not been so serious, but then consequent third strike is, is a really serious one. Is going early potentially giving up one of those milder reactions? Is it, is it making it more dangerous for children? Yeah, totally. And it's something we get asked a lot is do reactions become more severe as they happen over time? And it's actually not clear that that is exactly the case. So it's certainly the case that somebody can have a mild reaction once and a very severe reaction the next time, but then the reaction after that might be mild again. So there's a whole lot of factors that influence how severe the reaction is. And it's things like how much of the allergenic food they've eaten, but it's also a whole lot of other things that are not very well understood. So 
in later childhood and in adolescence, it can be things like whether a child's exercised recently, whether they've got a cold or some, some, some sort of other illness at the time. It can be even something like pivotal stage potentially. So there's this whole range of things that might influence how severe a reaction is. In terms of those early life exposures, we think it's probably more about young infants for some reason physiologically seem to be less likely to have the severe reactions compared to teenagers. And again, it's not completely understood, but there's also things like asthma is a big concern. So children who also have asthma as well as having a food allergy might ha be more likely to have severe reactions with breathing problems. And that kind of asthma usually develops a little bit later in childhood. And you talk about it being an immune response. That is intriguing for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, an immunologist would have a much better explanation than I do about how that happens. But essentially, in very, very simple terms, it's the, it, the immune system is reacting in a way that it would if it was exposed to something harmful. So the sorts of things that happen when we're exposed to something like a, a cold virus or COVID, for example, you get this immune response, which is really protective, and it's all about destroying the thing that's invading your body and uh, getting back to normal. Whereas what we're seeing with the foods is that exact same type of reaction, but it's happening to something that's completely harmless. So the body's somehow recognising this as potentially harmful, whereas it's something that should just be completely fine for the body to deal with. And we don't really know what it is about the immune response that's causing that to happen. What's the next direction for your research? Where are you going next? There's a couple of things that we're looking at now, and one is what's happening with the other allergenic foods. So what's happened with egg allergy, for example, has that also decreased over the past 10 years? What's happening with cow's milk allergy? And then the next thing that we're trying to do is work out for those kids who aren't benefiting from early introduction, so the kids who are still peanut allergic even though they've started eating peanut in the first year, what else can we do to prevent them from developing a food allergy? So whether that's something like what mum does in pregnancy or breastfeeding, or whether it's something like vitamin D in the first year of life, or a range of other things that are still being investigated at this sort of early stages at the moment. So we're really hoping the next probably two to three years will give us a lot more answers around that. Dr Jennifer Copland, researcher at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and that new research showing that delaying introducing allergenic foods to your baby might be increasing the food allergy risk. Now, if you're interested in this study, and there'll be more details, of course, on the Murdoch Children's Research Institute page, I will put a link on the Baby Talk page. And also a link if you're interested in taking part in the PregNut study. That is, if you're pregnant and would like to be involved in researching the role of what you eat and how it might affect your child's health outcomes. Also coming up in Baby Talk next week, we're going to stay with the theme of allergies and take a look at a new cookbook written by a grandmother and dentist who aims to take away some of the mystery behind introducing foods to your babies and toddlers with a great cookbook that has an emphasis on introducing your children to a variety of foods. Food allergies, food intolerances and helping these families deal with that side of living with food allergies which can be really challenging both physically and emotionally for families and quite exhausting at times. That's coming up on next week's Baby Talk. Because on Baby Talk, we're always interested in the latest scientific research about babies and health. Last week, we took a look at a really difficult topic, 
birth trauma and what might be done here in Australia to give women really good births. We absolutely believe that even a woman choosing an elective caesarean should have her midwife guiding her through her pregnancy, through that experience of the birth and through the postnatal period. It doesn't make any difference how the baby comes out and what mode and in what place. Women still need an equal amount of support regardless of where they're giving birth. Birth Time is a confronting documentary that looks at the role midwifery care might play in giving women a more natural and wholesome birth. You can take a listen to Birth Time on Baby Talk by finding it on the ABC Listen app or on iTunes. And you can find it online on the Baby Talk website. It's easy to find. Just search Baby Talk one word in your search engine and you'll find us. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.